What's up, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Almighty Podcast. This is Mike Atkins from NerdsOnEarth.com, and as usual, I am joined by Adam from the Back Patio Network. We are here to continue our discussion of My Hero Academia Vigilantes as we eagerly await the debut of Season 5 of My Hero Proper, which is coming in just over a month. Uh, March 27th is when the official anime returns, and in the interim, we're working our way through Vigilantes, and you guys seem to be enjoying it, so we're just going to keep on doing just that. Yeah, man, it's actually like closer to two months. I mean, it's only the second when we're recording, so... That's true, it's true. Why why you got to bring me down? Why yeah, I'm not trying to bring you down. I, I got to be a little bit of a realist. I can't, <laughs> you can't you can't say a month because here in like you know the beginning of next month I'll be like Adkins, where's my episode? <sighs> it's true. I mean, <laughs> I'm I'm really I got even more excited about it because they've been releasing some uh, new promotional uh, images and things like that, and we're we're actually going to talk at the very end of this episode of the AMP about a promotional image that they released that features uh, all of Class One B in their uh, official hero costumes. Uh, and so I think that stuff is just on my mind and I'm excited about it and just want to see all that stuff in action. We've we've talked a long time on this podcast about how we wanted to see more of Class 1B. And it seems like we're definitely heading in that direction. Yeah, and I'm I'm really excited about it. And I do have to say a correction. I think almost every time we've talked about 1B, I act as if they are subpar to 1A. And I apologize for that. I have been corrected and uh, it won't happen again. Or yeah. I'll try to not let it happen again. <laughs> you you say that, but it's it's, it's going to happen again because we've been corrected more than once on that. And we just, it's just, uh, just continues to happen. It's something I got to keep in the back of my mind, though. Yeah, it's fine. Well, you don't, good news is uh, you don't really, well, I was going to say the good news is you don't really have to worry about that too much as we're reading Vigilantes, but you did because that's what happened last week. Exactly. Right? <laughs> Not in this particular uh, set of episodes does class enumerations come up at all. Um, oh, so actually it does. I think in like the second chapter that we read, uh, they talk about Aizawa being in class 1B. Oh, I might have missed that or just, you know, don't care about it um, yeah, because yeah. I don't care where Aizawa is. He's the best wherever he is. Yeah, you're not wrong. So we're covering episodes 63, 64, 65, and 66 this week. Can I, can I tell you a secret of mine, Adkins? I think this will make you laugh a little bit. Sure. Every episode, we uh, start off telling the four chapters that we have read for the past week. And every time when you start it, I always have to double check and make sure those are actually the chapters I've read. Because I'm always scared that I've either like missed one or like read one twice by accident. <laughs> and I always have this moment of fear. I'm always like, oh my God. But it's kind okay, of great because that lets the audience know that you and I are doing this. There's no pre-collaboration like before our episodes. We just sit down and we just assume that both of us have done the right things and we're just going to talk about it. Yeah, <laughs> we don't compare yeah. notes. Nothing. No, it's, it's totally off the cuff. So. Yeah. None of this is scripted whatsoever. Um, so welcome welcome to the train wreck of a show <laughs> that is the Almighty Podcast, where we, one of the hosts is just like, I'm not sure I'm doing the right thing this week, but here we go. Let's click record and see how yep. it turns out. <laughs> we got this. Well, we're starting with episode 63. Uh, and I do, I, I do have the, uh, titles pulled up here because, um, volume nine of my hero Academia Vigilantes is not yet for sale in the U S. Um, I believe that if you get a certain subscription, um, that you could have read that in English already. Uh, I don't have that subscription. I, I think I need to look into getting that. I know that some of the guys, uh, on the other podcasts, especially hero notes, they're big about that. They're big on this subscription. So I just need to take a note about what it is and get on it. Um, so we're reading it. I'm reading what Adam is normally reading, um, so not the production mangas, but I do have uh, the volume wiki pulled up. So chapter 63 in the production manga is called Be Prepared, but that is not what it is called in this particular format. Yeah, in this format, it is named Decisive. Decisive. I like Be Prepared better. In fact, I think that's going to be the, the rule of thumb for these four, maybe not 66, but 63, 64, and 65, I think are all pretty solid in the production manga. Cool. Well, let's just jump right into 63, man, because uh, we start off kind of like retroactively. What What is the word you always use? Uh, recapitulation. You know, we, yeah. we left off the last episode with this like pretty big cliffhanger with the goggles and the rubble and like you don't know who's gone down and what's going on, but we know that they're calling for backup. And so we start this episode off with uh, Yamada and uh, Mr. Blaster or Sensoji. And they are flying, they are heading on the scene, and it turns out they're actually with a handful of other heroes. But before we see the heroes, I gotta mention, the Sensoji is wearing those silly goggles, and he's super stoked about it. 
And Yamada's like, well, hold on, you copycat. And Sensoji's just like, I don't care. These things are awesome. Aizawa, whatever. They he lost his shades in this yeah. uh, this battle last time we we uh, sat down and talked, and so he's come over onto team goggles. But they're not the same goggles. That's an important thing to point out here. His are they are more rounded looking. Um, they look as like swimmers. The, they look like what? Yeah, swimmers like swimmers swimming goggles. goggles. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. That's fair. And the the goggles that we typically associate with Aizawa and Loud Cloud, and now uh, present Mike is wearing a set. Uh, they they all look similar. They're very boxy. They're like aviation uh, goggles almost. Uh, yeah, the, he's he's rocking these goggles, and this is us seeing them on their... We already knew that they ended up at the same hero agency. It turns out they're actually working for what we would come to find out is one of the quote-unquote hardest-hitting uh, hero agencies at the time of uh, this the goings-on that we're covering here, and they are with a group called the Buster Union. Yeah, and they look pretty cool. I mean, they're they're on these like droid helicopter things uh, yeah like giant like drones uh, drones yeah yeah uh but they they look like they're pretty serious i mean uh they've got some crazy hair for sure one guy's got like uh the oh i'm trying to think of what his name is from yu yu Hakusho. he's got red hair like this massive like can coming out of his head almost oh you're talking about that dude in the middle yeah i think he reminds now i have never seen jojo's bizarre adventure but i, it, I feel yeah. like that's a character from that show it definitely looks like it for sure. And then there's like a mech suit guy that's got these rockets on his back. Like these are the pretty cool looking lineup, really. Yeah, they all seem to be distance fighters, too. And before we get into what they um, are showing up to uh, scene wise, uh, there is a little bit of discussion that I really liked between uh, President Mike and Sensoji, where Sensoji is, of course, just dragging Aizawa through the mud. Uh, and Yamada is being the good best friend to Aizawa that he always is and is defending his friend's honor. And he says, you know, when uh, President Mike is talking about Aizawa, he says when he digs deep and finds his guts, he's a tough customer. And Sensoji says, well, then tell him to stop losing his guts. And that made me laugh when I was reading this for the first time. <laughs> and President Mike's just like, well, fair point, I guess. Uh, and he says, must be nice to be so simple minded, which is a phrase that's going to come up a little bit later, too. So I want to make sure that we touched on it. But just Sensoji's just like, well, you know, if, if you're losing your marbles and stop losing your marbles, um, yeah. just as the way that he talked about it made me uh, chuckle out loud. Man, this Sensoji gets his, uh, like, oh, what's the word I want to use? Like, upcomings. That's not even the word, though. Comeuppance. <laughs> comeuppance. It's the yes. other way around. It's the other way around. Yeah. Uh, Sensoji <laughs> gets his comeuppance in the next couple chapters, though, because Aizawa really gives him what for, you know? He does. And he does the same thing that he did last time Aizawa whooped his butt, which is basically to downplay it and walk off. Um, right. It's crazy. He's deflecting. <laughs> yeah, Aizawa doesn't care. He's he's not the kind of proud warrior that uh, Sensoji pretends to be. Exactly. But, but they're all rolling up um, with this hero agency because there's a giant building that is uh, wreaking havoc on a city. And so they pull up on their drones. And uh, I think I'd mentioned briefly earlier that they all seem to be distance fighters. And they all unleash uh, their quirks uh, from, from quite a ways away at this giant. It looks kind of like a malformed frog. See, I thought it looked uh, like the um, uh, the kid that got changed permanently that is now with the Hoda brothers and, and kind of hangs out with a bunch of the different, uh, the X-Men, I think he hangs out with them as well. Yeah, yeah, he does look a little like that, but he's definitely more like froggy looking than eel looking or For worm sure. looking. Yeah. Or toad. Yeah. I guess toad would be the better thing because he does well, have these lumps sense. all over his back. Yeah, because the lumps are like where he stored power basically. And unfortunately the uh, Union Blast is going to or sorry, Buster Union. Union Blast. Where did I come up with that? Buster Union is gonna just unleash their full might of their quirks on this thing. So it's gonna get them in some uh, pretty bad news. I love this guy's quirk though. We find we even find out that this villain who could very easily have been nameless has a name um in just a minute we're going to find out what his quirk is and i think it's one of the coolest ones in the entire series um so i'm i'm excited to talk about it that's why i'm i'm teasing it now but there's a little brief interlude um featuring aizawa and loud cloud uh right after the uh the group discovers that this thing just basically tanked their attacks right into his mouth uh, in fact they explain it ate our attacks and grew new lumps and then it's just like they leave us hanging with, with what in the world's going on there, and we catch up with Aizawa and Loud Cloud as they are... I think they just bump into a, pre, a bunch of preschool kids. They're not, like, escorting them. They're just out no. and about town. Yeah, I think they're patrolling. Like, they're just on patrol, and they just happen to go, like, bump into this uh, nursery brigade out on a march, is what they say. So I think it was totally random. But Aizawa's kind of, like, warming up to this idea of, of him being, like, a teacher. I mean, he's interacting with these kids. He saves one whenever they fall off a cloud, and he says, you know, careful, don't fall. And it's just, like, 
he's kind of got this other perspective of it all of a sudden. Uh, you know, it's interesting because Loud Cloud is telling him, like, you'd be pretty good working with kids, like, at a daycare or as a school teacher. And he, he says to himself, me? Nah, you, maybe. Uh, but he seems kind of happy when the kids acknowledge him. They're, you know, they're saying bye to Loud Cloud, and then they're also like, oh, bye, Eraser. And he, he seems like he's been accepted almost. It's kind of this uh, nice little smile he's got. It's the first thing besides one of Midnight's uh, unsolicited cat picks that's made Aizawa smile so far in this series. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> and I kind of had the opposite read on this. So it kind of is like Aizawa, his natural tendencies are almost like a helicopter dad a little bit. Oh, yeah. But he still is very antagonistic or or, or maybe not aggressively antagonistic, but very uninterested in this idea of, of being a teacher, but loud cloud sees what Aizawa isn't, what isn't registering in Aizawa, you know, um, the things that Aizawa is, is kind of taking for granted or taking as normal or even, you know, rational is, is maybe how he would phrase it. Of course, I'm going to keep the kid from falling on its head. And, uh, of course I'm going to keep them from rushing out into traffic. It's only rational. And I think loud cloud sees something a little bit more paternal than that. Yeah, no, you're definitely right. I think I think you're absolutely right on that. That's for sure. Um, but it is funny because, I mean, he starts talking to Aizawa about how he can do anything. Like, if you put your mind to it, you're going to be able to do it. And he, he actually asked anything, like run a daycare or be a teacher. Mm -hmm. Like, he's even kind of warming up to the idea in my mind. But... See, and I read that as Aizawa being sarcastic, like as him being like, anything, let me That's guess, funny. like run a daycare or be a teacher, you know? That's fair. Uh, I guess I didn't think of him being that sarcastic, but he is way more sarcastic than I'm giving him credit for. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Especially because when he's... When Loud Cloud acknowledges that, yeah, that's exactly what I'm talking about, as I was just like, you need to try thinking before you speak. <laughs> okay, He's basically saying, you're a dummy. <laughs> yeah. This is dumb. Also, well, and, uh, I wanted to point out to you, because you pointed this out last week, that Loud Cloud has like a kanji or a symbol on the back of his coat. Yeah. I looked it up, and it just is the symbol for Cloud. Oh, that's cool. Okay. So I like that. That's befitting. Yeah, that's awesome. You can see the power pole really well in this scene, too. Yeah. And its little holster. Yeah. Scabbard. What do you uh, call a thing that holds a pole? I don't know. I don't know. Tweet at us. Let us know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Jump in the Discord. <laughs> yeah. Um, so we, we this scene is interrupted. This discussion about uh, Aizawa's future essentially is, is interrupted when Midnight calls and tells them they need to start evacuating the area because they're near enough to this villain that they're in a, a spot of danger. Um, and then this is where we start seeing and get the breakdown of this guy's quirk, this giant toad thing because uh, one of the balls that had formed on the back of his head pops off and then it explodes and it's one of the blasts that we saw the buster union break out um a few panels ago and so midnight is on is standing next to uh his purple majesty is that his name or is that just what i want to call him um, I, I think that's I've his already name forgotten. we find out midnight's got the intel on this guy i guess it's from the the hero slash villain facebook that we've talked about before the like registry uh, she does mention that it's his rap sheet, but he's he's got a name, and it's Garvey. It's deceptively simple name. Like, I don't <laughs> yeah. know what I was expecting, because, of course, this is a guy. It's not just some created creature that would have some rockin' ass name. It's just like, yeah, his name's Garvey. You know, yeah. Garve from up the street. And he's got a couple of minor prior offenses, um, but nothing on this scale. And she says that his quirk is stock. He can absorb attacks and store them up to release whenever he wants. And I stink and love that as a quirk idea. It's one of my new favorite quirks in, in anything My Hero or Vigilantes. So what do you think about this as a bit of a joke theory? This has got to be Mineta's dad. And just the, <laughs> his mom canceled out the coolness of the quirk, and he just has balls on his head now. I um, <laughs> Normally, I would just write your crazy, they have similar quirks, so they must be related shenanigans off. But I'll allow it here. Okay. It's a joke maybe, theory. I like maybe it. just as a simple you know, just get tossing, tossing at him a bone every now and then. I appreciate that. Uh, you say he's got like minor offenses, but I don't know because she says that he's got 15 prior offenses, including murder and property damage. So no. that's pretty bad. <laughs> I totally misread that, but it's the, it's the pairing with the next, uh, bubble, which is that the data doesn't mention this much sheer destruction. That's fair. Uh, yeah. So I conflated the two, but yeah, you're right. He's murdered people before. <laughs> yeah. And this minor, too, you know, who hasn't? This scene, too, is very, like, almost Godzilla-like. Like, he's standing in the middle of all this rubble, and there are just these hands coming out from the rubble, and, like, people grasping their arms. And, like, I mean, it's a pretty nasty-looking scene. They're, they're it's all the Buster Union, up. man. He busted the Buster Union with their own <laughs> bustings. true. 
That's what he did. Because that's that's present Mike down in the bottom right. Oh, and yeah, then, uh, absolutely. I think that's in Soji's hand. Mm-hmm. Yep. So, yep. yeah, I mean, he just annihilated them with with uh, one of their shots. And so the, the heroes on the scene, including His Purple Majesty Midnight, are reacting to all of this. And uh, so... Aizawa and Loudcloud are, they've returned back to the kids. They hadn't gotten very far, uh, and they're working on evacuating them, but this monster ends up right on top of them. Oh, yeah, it's nasty, because the moment that it ends up on top of them, it's just like rubble going everywhere. I mean, this this monster is just wrecking everything. So Purple Justice uh, shows up on the scene, and he's like, leave this to his majesty. And, uh, you know, he he tries to fight this thing, but doesn't do a very good job. Like, immediately, he gets knocked backwards by one of Yamada's screams. Uh, and as Iowa picks up on this, he realizes that was Yamada's quirk, uh, voice quirk. So he he sees then that it's Sensoji's blast immediately afterwards. So Aizawa's already kind of figured out, like, okay, this is the quirk that we're dealing with, and it is completely loaded. Like, you know, they would have been made aware of it, but now he's seeing just the level of destruction it can cause. He also kind of gets the idea that, like, it's amplified. Like, somehow the villain is amplifying the quirk. So that's it's pretty crazy. Yeah, which made me think, again, going back to what Midnight had said about you know, him performing destruction or, or doing things on a scale much larger than he ever has before. If, if there's some, you know, maybe some trigger still out on the streets uh, and this guy has gotten a hold of some. I was going to say maybe beta version of the trigger that we saw in the earlier chapters of Vigilantes. Yeah. And uh, Aizawa, he's looking up and he sees Yamada's quirk and then Sensoji's quirk used against uh, his purple majesty. And he's blasted uh, the artist that formerly was used to be known as Prince, but is now as Purple Majesty, is blasted into a building kind of right above where they had uh, maneuvered the students. And so all this rubble starts falling down, and there's a giant chunk of it that's heading right for these kids and this teacher. And Loud Cloud uh, calls for his cloud to go and, and shelter them, shelter the young kids from this rubble, but in the process doesn't realize that there is a massive chunk uh, heading straight for him, and it cracks him. I mean, it has to hit him straight on the forehead because we see that his his goggles are all busted and he wears them typically not on quite on the top of his head, like just on, on his brow. And so, I mean, he takes a giant blunt force trauma by this thing. I mean, yeah. straight to the forehead and he's, he's down. Hit, hit him so hard that in the, the like panel where the, they show the striking scene, there are bits and chunks of rocks coming off of the rock itself that hit him. So like, I mean, you can tell that like, it's just, it's nasty. You know, it's, it's bad in vigilantes or in my hero where they, when they don't show you something. Yeah, like when they blur out the face, kind of. Yeah, or they make it all black, you know, like we saw um, in the the fight between Knuckle Duster and Six. Uh, They just, they they obscure it somehow. And in this particular panel, you don't really see Loud Cloud's head, and you won't see Loud Cloud's head, probably because, you know, uh, it's it's brutal. I mean, it's it's rough. And, uh, you know, Aizawa is freaking out. He's shouting for Shirakumo, and uh, he, he's trying to figure out he's kind of frozen because this villain obviously is still on the scene. It's now looming over top of him. And he's the only one standing because his purple majesty is down. Shirakumo is almost invisible. I mean, he's been buried in rubble um, and these children and this teacher still need protection. And Aizawa starts thinking and, he, and one of the critiques that he's gotten a lot, or especially in, in these flashback chapters of vigilantes, is that he he overthinks things. And so that's exactly what he does. Um, but then he, he kind of ends this string of thinking almost, almost like a Midoriya train of thought where he's just very quickly rattling off all this stuff. He ends with, you know, if nothing else, I got to help these kids get out of here, but his thoughts are interrupted. Yeah. And they're, they're interrupted by, uh, it is loud clouds like speaker and it's kind of in the form of, uh, what do you call like a sake gourd? gourd? Yeah. Uh, and it's just him telling Aizawa, like, you got this man. And he continues to, you know, boister his his morale throughout this whole entire fight. He's like a bard, you know, he's just inspiring courage. He keeps explaining to him, like, you got this, you can do it. It's incredible. Um, and, and Aizawa wakes up and he's like, you know what? My quirk is erasure. Whatever powers the enemy brings to the table, I can strip them all away and level the playing field. And then the chapter ends right there. It's an incredible last panel, like him just dashing into the fight. Yep, he's he's done got amped, and that leads us into episode 64, which in the production manga is called Do Your Best, Shoda. In the production that I'm reading, it's just named Shoda as well. I think the, the production manga, more often than not, edges out uh, the, the versions that we're reading here. But we pick back up uh, exactly where we left off. Uh, Aizawa is currently running straight at Garvey, and he is a 
he's all on his own. I mean, he's got no backup. He's he's that kid. Those kids and that teacher's only defense, only option. Maybe even the cities, because we don't really see any other heroes even at the end of this, like in the aftermath. Yeah, you're right. That's true. I hadn't considered that. Like, they're pretty much nothing else around. I mean, it looks like just a bunch of rubble. So if there were heroes around, they got wrecked or blindsided more than likely. Uh, and it's really cool because he comes up with this awesome strategy where he basically gets in super close and gets in over top of Garvey's head. So that way he is now aiming all of his attacks straight up. And then any of the loose power balls is what I kind of called them in my notes. Anytime those get loose, he's kicking them straight up into the air, hoping that they blow up or activate far enough away that they're not going to damage any more buildings and not going to you know accidentally hurt any of the kids or, or himself. So it's pretty, pretty cool, but it's just not enough. I mean, Garvey's huge and he's very aware of what's going on and he's able to knock Aizawa right out of the sky, like just straight down to the ground. And, uh, he's, he's kind of doubting himself in this moment. And that's when he hears, uh, loud cloud again, telling him like, Hey, you're the only one who can protect everyone. You can do it. Yeah. And this is strange. Um, because Aizawa's strategy is as these balls come off the top of Garvey's head, he glares at them, which activates his quirk, which deactivates them. For a time, for him, for long enough apparently for him to jump up there, kick them into the air, and blink, at which point they explode. And I think that I've always been under the impression, I even talked about this, I think, in our last episode, that it, that Aizawa's quirk requires eye contact. Yeah. Um, because you remember we, we talked about how he seemed to have uh, shut down Sensoji's quirk uh, in the last episode. And I was like, how did he do that? He's behind the man. So I looked up on the wiki how it's phrased and it just says that he just has to be looking at them says nothing about uh eye contact at all which would make some sense of the uh the ball right um but then later on he deactivates a whole heap of balls like a giant cluster of these balls and he deactivates all of them and that makes his glare seem almost like an AoE instead of like a you pick the one thing and you look at it and that's the one thing and like that's targeted. been a big yeah, and that's been a big, like, sticking point for one of the limitations of Aizawa's quirk, but it, I don't know how that fits with how he ends up stopping Garvey. The only thing I can think of, because I, I had that in my notes as well, is that maybe it's because they're all registered under Garvey's quirk now. Like, he's canceling Garvey's quirk, which is just dissipating the balls. It's not that there are multiple objects and balls as much as it's just that there's one single quirk. So he's looking at Garvey. Basically, yeah. That's the way that, that I kind of understood it. That could make some sense. I yeah. don't know why I didn't think about that. Because if he's, I, I think the it's moment because he, the way, yeah, I don't I, know. The moment he cancels Garvey's quirk, the, the, the balls lose their power. You know what I mean? They wouldn't be able to maintain that anymore is the way that I read it. But who knows? I mean, you try and explain anything in this world with quirks, it's going to get kind of hairy pretty quick. Although it is one of our favorite things to do. Yeah, I do think, I think there's some merit to the way that you're, that you sorted that out, um, that he could just be, instead of glaring at the balls, which is what I thought he was doing, he could be locking eye contact with Garvey. Um, it's, I don't know, because it says delaying the moment those lumps activate their, their quirks, which yeah. makes it sound like he's, it, it is a several quirks and he has to do them one at a time. I don't know. It's, it's hard to tell. It is, but yeah, I don't know. That's interesting. Aizawa gets all jazzed up because he hears Landcloud talking at him through this gourd. Um, and there's this cool, like, Super Saiyan power-up moment for Aizawa. It kind of doesn't look like Aizawa, though. I don't... I have struggled with this panel because I wanted to like it a lot. But when Aizawa's screaming, it doesn't really look like Aizawa. And I, I think agree. part of it is just because there's, a, there's like, uh, not severe, significant emotion. Like, uh, that he's emoting super hard. And you're not used to seeing Aizawa that way. It just doesn't, his face just doesn't look quite right for some reason it, in this it's panel. It's huge. Like his chin looks totally off. He looks like he has a massive square chin. Yeah. I so, wanted to like it a lot more than I did. Um, yeah. But he, he jumps into action and he is, his strategy is actually pretty great. He, he, just a few panels earlier, he wasn't sure that he could do anything against this giant thing all on his own. Um, but now that he's been encouraged by Loud Cloud, his strategy is pretty neat. He jumps up and he's the first thing that he does is attack uh, Garvey's eye, um, which is a weak point on pretty much everything in all of creation. Um, so he jumps up and puts his elbow right into Garvey's eye, 
which I thought was a pretty smart place to start. Yeah, it definitely was. And then after he is able to take out his eyes, he starts grabbing a bunch of the like rubble and whatnot and just beating the crap out of him with it. I mean, imagine like sticking a whole bunch of bricks or books or something into a pillow sack and just whacking somebody. It's pretty much what he's doing. Yeah, see, in my notes, it just says uh, that Aizawa takes a rock and hits Garvey on the forehead. And I was like, man, that feels a little familiar right now. Yeah. Because that literally just happened to Loud Cloud. I was like, oof. Yeah. And the next panel, he looks like, uh, he almost looks like one of those, um, what are they called? The ugly fishes. The blobfish. After they've been brought to the surface too quickly, you know? The blobfish does end up taking a whole bunch of his quirked up balls and and tries to fling them at Aizawa. But Aizawa catches them and cancels them in that weird way that we discussed. And then it is incredible because he shoves them down this thing's throat and then reactivates their quirks, I guess, when he blinks. So it just blows this thing sky high, and it's like chunks everywhere, it seems like. Yeah, earlier you had mentioned that it had a very Godzilla-like vibe, and there, there's a panel in here where Garvey is silhouetted in the background as Aizawa's like leaping through the foreground, and it looks like Godzilla is in the back using his atomic breath. Absolutely. Um, which is pretty cool. And uh, again, another weak point, famous weak point on most living creatures is their insides. I mean, we saw this in the Avengers at least once, you know, uh, in the first one. Where he, the, you know, the big things flying through New York City, and Iron Man just goes through the, goes to its belly essentially, or yep. Thor did. I can't remember which one, but they they go in through the mouth. I think that's a pretty like big Marvel centric thing to do in almost every one of their movies. You know. Yeah, yeah, because uh, what's his name? Drax, Drax ends up doing it. it to that thing at the beginning of Guardians. Yep. Uh, Guardians two, I think. Yep. So we we have Aizawa. This thing is toppled. Garvey has. He's fallen down, and Aizawa is. Uh, He's, he's pretty cooked himself. He's lying on the ground. It's raining, too. I meant to point that out earlier because I'm going to talk about that in just a second. Um, but he's he starts shouting. that He's like, Shirakumo, I did it. And he is ecstatic. Uh, I mean, I would see be, a, too. Holy cow. Yeah, definitely. Man, he just strong-armed this thing that an entire hero company uh, didn't do practically anything to. In fact, yeah. all they did was made him more dangerous. But yeah. then, I mean, there was a part of me that wanted to be like, maybe it wasn't their fault. Maybe they didn't know. But Midnight had her phone out and figured she figured out in a span of like a minute what this guy was and what he had done. So that hero agency should get some bad marks for like zero prep. Yeah, no prep and big assumptions. Yeah, crazy. How how do you make a mistake that big when somebody with a cell phone can can approach the scene wisely? <laughs> yeah, that was yeah, that was one of the biggest flaws I saw here. I'm like, this made no sense, but it's fine because it's a comic. <laughs> but he does get the credit where it's due. Um, some of the members of the Buster Union are are talking here. The JoJo's Bizarre guys, like one trainee, took down this thing all by himself. That's hard to believe. And Aizawa's like, "Hey, it was a team effort. My partner was cheering me on the whole time." And then he starts asking about Shirakumo, and we just get a couple of panels where Midnight has just got her back turned to Aizawa, and her head is down, and he's he's like, "Well." Is anybody going to tell me what's going on with Shirakumo? And uh, present Mike is going over to pick up this gourd, and he looks like he knows too. I mean, he's pretty. It's it's a very sad end to this. Yes, very yeah. sad. In fact, uh, Tomac uh, talked about how this was uh, the most depressed he's ever seen present Mike. How, how when have we? How often have we seen present Mike devoid of just that giant mouth wide open smile? You know, and almost never. Really, almost never. I mean, I can't think of another time off the top of my head. Maybe, and I, you know, now that I think about it, I don't think it was on screen, but I was thinking of when Coda used his bugs on him when the teachers were fighting the students. Yeah. Because we know he doesn't like bugs, but we didn't see that. I think it was just like a zoomed out shot showing the forest and him screaming. So, <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. It's dark, but you know, I kind of didn't like these next few panels because Aizawa is like questioning this, like that, you know, that can't be like, there's no way that. You know, he wasn't really there that something's happening because Sinzoji is explaining that, you know, he never heard or Aizawa never heard a uh, loud cloud. He was never talking to him that the mic that he heard everything through was actually broken. And so Aizawa's like, well, that's not possible. Like he's been, he was talking to me the whole time. And Sinsoji is just such a jerk about it. He's just like, nope, nope, couldn't have been doing that. You didn't hear anything like you, you did this all on your own. You, you just, you know, you need to take all the credit. Why not? Like, and he's just so, I don't know, he's so bleak about it. I hate it. Yeah, Sensoji is not the, uh, he's not empathetic at all. And no. maybe maybe not even very sympathetic. Uh, he's wanting Aizawa to kind of take credit for, for what he's done. And Mike is trying to rein him in because he realizes that that's not 
that's not where Aizawa's head is right now. Aizawa needs, yeah. he needs comfort. He, he hasn't even truthfully at this point really been told. He's trying to wrap his mind around his experience versus what Sensoji is saying is true. And this is where we see him kind of glance over towards where Loud Cloud had fallen. And we just see a sheet that the head of which is just covered in blood. And this blanches Aizawa. Yeah, he is. Uh, he's super distraught here in this this panel, and it's uh, it's pretty bad. I mean, since Oji keeps going on, he's like, Aizawa, you know, you you took out one of the biggest villains that have come through here in a while, and you did it all on your own, and you should be proud. If not now, then when? And this is right when President Mike is really kind of starting to come down. Like, dude. I, you know, you gotta chill out. And he says, I envy that simple mind of yours. Mm-hmm. Um, the rain keeps falling. And uh, this is when midnight is like, Hey, you know, we better get inside. Like, we don't want to get you guys sick. We were out, we're out here in the rain. And, uh, present Mike is like, no, we're good. Uh, the rain kind of fits our vibe right now. Yep. It's the return of Imozawa. Um, or actually it's, I, I actually wrote this down, not as the return of Imozawa, but as a callback to Imozawa. Um, and I think that there is a lot of parallel uh, narratives happening right here because I mentioned earlier that I wanted to be, I wanted to clearly communicate that it was raining in the scene because now we've had three scenes with Aizawa in the rain with something that, uh, you know, dealing with, with a heroic issue. Two times it's, you know, a cat. Um, once with Koichi at the beginning, then we flash back to uh, when he first met Sushi. And it's almost like Loud Cloud is that cat um, in this particular scene. It was something that Aizawa tried his, did what he could. Um, but in this particular case, he found out that what he what he did almost wasn't enough, or or it wasn't it wasn't a fix for the problem. I don't know. I, I haven't sat down and like really figured out how all these things tie together. But it's really hard not to see that they're very intentionally crafted to for you to connect the dots between these three scenes and the way that each is played out. And we, you know, in a minute, we're going to return to the scene after which he finds the cat with Koichi, um, where it's raining. And that that setting triggered all of what we're reading now. So, I mean, there's yeah. direct connectivity there. I just haven't quite figured out. Um, and maybe it's just because I'm dumb or I'm just not in a thinking mood right now of how it is that Loud Cloud relates to, to those two cats besides uh, just being... Uh, helpless, I guess, maybe at a time. Um, well, and I think like the way that I read it was one of the quotes that Aizawa had from when that first transition from him and Koichi standing under the uh, the awning to him standing in the rain looking at that first cat was, back then I couldn't even save a cat. Mm-hmm. And there's kind of that like dot, 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 like let alone save one of my best friends. And so it's just how far he's come. You know, it's, he's a totally different person now. And this was the triggering point for that. If this hadn't happened, he may not be the Aizawa that we know today. Oh, definitely. I mean, this catalyzes him. As, as we start the next uh, episode, Aizawa has ramped up his efforts to become the person who can do, who can do it all. Yeah, who yeah. can be that hero. Um, I'd, I had mentioned, too, before we started recording that I wanted to drop the horoscope not at the end of the episode, but at the not the not at the end of our episode of the AMP, but at the end of this episode of episode 64. Uh, I looked up a horoscope for Aizawa for today, and this is what it says. Um, And I think that this will be appropriate, given that between this episode of the manga and the next one, there's a one year time gap. Uh, So I think that this speaks fairly well uh, to that gap. So it says this. Um, He is a. Oh, shoot. Scorpio, he's a November birthday, I think. I can't remember. I I pulled it. Uh, I've got the right horoscope, but I can't remember what his sign is. But it's uh, it says comfort and security are highlighted for you today, and with a little solitude and some cozy surroundings, you can watch your current worries melt away. Turn off social media notifications, block out any negative presences, and spend some time with your personal thoughts. And once you're in your private sanctuary, accept no interruption. Uh, you understand yourself better than anyone, and you know how a little rest in your own company gets you back on track. Remember who you are and don't compromise your needs. I was mm. like, dang, that speaks, I think, a little bit to the mentality that he adopts uh, between the, the end of this chapter and the beginning of the next. Absolutely. Yeah, wow, that, that is pretty cool. Uh, episode 65 in the production manga is called In the Sky After the Rain. 
for the series that we were reading online, it was named Angler Hero. Yeah, I, I didn't think neither one is great. great. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but this takes off right after one year has passed. Uh, so we are seeing like all of the students kind of getting excited. They're all about to graduate. Uh, they're trying to figure out what they're going to do for the sports festival because this is their last time to really show off what all they've learned and, and how far they've come. And of course, uh, in our background, the Aizawa that we know and love is here and he is just hopping into his sleeping bag. He's going to take a nap. He's not really into this kind of stuff. First appearance of the sleeping bag. Mark it down. Pretty sure this is the first time that we see it. I think it is for, for yeah, for sure. Uh, and it's funny because Yamada is just like, well, hey, leave him alone. He's just wiped out from all of his solo training. He sleeps like nobody's business. And he, he leans over and goes, good night, bud. Yeah. And I actually like that because we never really had an explanation for why it seems like as I was tired all the time. But here the explanation is it's because he's busting his arse behind the scenes to, to be better. Yeah. Um, and I Which like, I like. That, that could carry forward into even his time as a teacher at UA. Absolutely. And in the next few panels, we see Aizawa and the, the new Aizawa. This is like a very serious take of Aizawa. And he's kicking the crap out of Senzoji. And he's explaining to him, like, look, you're going to face opponents that you can't overcome with sheer force. You're going to have to learn how to, like, actually fight instead of just standing there and trying to randomly attack. And Senzoji's just like, ah, your advice is wasted on me since brawling is no more than a hobby. When I'm on a team, I'll just provide support with my blast quirk. Like, Senzoji just seems like such a lazy hero to me. I would, I don't know. It, that that is kind of frustrating to me. This is also the first appearance of the slotted goggles for Aizawa. Yeah, so I'm guessing they they must have had some improvements for their uh, their items in the last year. We also start to see here in these scenes his hands are all bandaged up. Uh, that's the first time we see that as well. Because in the the main series, his arms are almost completely bandaged, aren't they? Um, he, you know, I can't recall off the top of my head. I know there's a time where he's like literally entirely bandaged. Um, after the USJ incident. Yeah. Well, we, we go back to uh, Mr. Sinister, uh, his teacher, talking to two of the other teachers that I don't think we have names for. Mm-mm. And uh, they're asking, like, how he's been, you know, how's Shota been and what's what's different with him. And he pretty much explains that he's really good at passing marks. And then once he's passed, he just kind of chills out and, like, doesn't really partake in classes. Uh, and there's a couple scenes of him, like, snoozing at the desk. He's not in a sleeping bag, though. Bummer. Missed opportunity. But they, they do say that the thing, the one thing that he's most passionate about is battle training. I mean, that he's really thrown himself, um, I mean, head over heels, uh, extra mile into preparing himself for combat. And so we get a couple of scenes of him with one of those bandages that he's got anchored to the top of the gym that he's, he had to go and ask for permission to just train solo. He's like, can I, can I have the gym to myself so I can train by myself? Um, and I think that he's gotten that permission many, many times. And he's been scaling these ropes uh, or these his bandages. It looks like a bandage. Um, it does. Yeah. Like one of his scarves or something. Yeah. And you can see it's, it's got blood all over it and uh, his hands are all torn up from having climbed presumably up and down and up and down over and over and over again. And I just realized that the, the bottom panels here, Yamada is like leaned up against a doorway. Mm-hmm. Originally I thought he was like up on the roof where him and loud cloud and Azawa used to hang out. But now I'm seeing, it looks like he's actually in the gym with Aizawa. He's just not participating. He is. And he looks so solid there, too. Jeez. Yeah. I mean, because he's seeing his best friend, like, all of this is in response to Loud Cloud's death. And this is is how Aizawa is coping or dealing with it, or at least this is what Aizawa is motivated to do in response to that situation, the circumstances that... uh, that precipitated that particular circumstance. So this is, this is Aizawa doing everything that he can so that that never happens again. Um, so far as he's, uh, involved and you can see that a lot in Aizawa as we know him in my hero proper, like at the USJ, you know, he's just like, I'm going to take on all these guys at once. Shut up, Deku. You don't know what you're talking about that. I'm, I'm only good in one-on-one stealth application. Screw you. I'm going to do this, you know, because your kids that need protection, I'm a hero. I've got it, you know? Uh, so you see that, that spirit that's being honed and defined and shaped in Aizawa here, uh, and in evidence in the future. And he ends up sitting down with his teachers. Who's a little concerned, uh, Mr. Sinister, because Aizawa's plan for the future is basically to just go solo and do his own agency work all by himself. And uh, Mr. Sinister's a little concerned because he's like, you know, most people will go and get a little bit of experience under, you know, another hero agency, maybe learn something new. And I saw I was just like, nope, I'm only, I'll only specialize in anti-villain combat. That way I can focus on fighting and nothing else. It's simple and rational. 
Yeah, he says that he's going to be an independent underground hero. And I like that. Like, he's got this smirk on his face, and it kind of reminds me of how Koichi described what he was doing. So Mm -hmm. it makes me think that's probably a good reason or a good explanation why Aizawa was a little loose on those guys. Like, he he gets it, you know? I think he really sees that side of it now. Yeah, and then we flash forward a little bit to the UA graduation, and Yamada and some of the other classmates are getting ready to take a group picture, and... President Mike goes to shout Aizawa's name to kind of reel him in for this photo. And Aizawa does what I've been wanting him to do <laughs> in every single chapter of My Hero or in Vigilantes. Just one time I wanted to see if he w- had ever used or would ever use his quirk to just shut President Mike up just for fun. And he does that here. Aizawa, or President Mike goes to shout his name and then the, he grabs his throat and very weakly, there's like a my voice and a, a look of concern on his face. And you just see Aizawa waving and his hair sticking up. He totally shut President Mike's quirk down and it brought me so much joy to see that. It was funny. I liked it. And there's an awesome little montage panel where he's like bounced off. Like you can, there's a, a little panel where you can see the, the like swish marks from where he jumped away. Uh, and then we see this picture of like him in the rain and like all these things he's been through, like training and, and just fighting and like just the insane amount of work he's put into becoming who he is. And I think there's a misjoke in the background of one of these panels. And then there's a, a panel of him looking back at Knuckle Duster and yeah. uh, Koichi and Pop. And so we just kind of like everything is rushing back in you know this is the transition moment where he's standing back under that awning with koichi and koichi kind of says oh the rain stopped you know like snapping him back into this moment so it's like a fast forward of all of his memories it was pretty cool yeah very cool and as aizawa snaps back to it he's just like well anyway do right by that cat (laughs) like it's such a funny (laughs) line to me to come off all that and that's that's what his the moral of of all of his flashbacks is to koichi is just do right by that cat yeah and he's just like, all right, we're going to go check on the Hoda Brothers. And when they get there, there's a new member of the Hoda Brother crew. Yeah, it's the, uh, the uh, like, squid monster thing that was attacking Koichi earlier. His name is Kajiro Takobi. Yeah, Ikijiro Takobi. Oh, Ikijiro? Uh, I thought that was an uh, exclamation, or a uh, parenthesis. No, they, um, they call him Taco, which is funny because that's octopus in Japanese. Yeah. But then I was like, but hold on. There was this whole thing, especially with Aizawa, that he was technically a squid because he had the two extra tentacles. <laughs> so I was like, well, what's squid in Japanese? It's Ika. So it's right there, too. Oh, that's awesome. His name like is literally like Squid Octopus. Squid Octopus. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's awesome. But he's hanging out with the Hoda Brothers now. They've kind of adopted him. The Hoda Brothers are straight up running like a rehab clinic now. It's pretty cool. Like they've got this whole little area set up for him and their brother. And it's in this district that they own where they've kind of got a new scheme coming up. Uh, They're going to make a cat cafe. Yeah, that that idea eventually ends up coming out. But initially, it's just like, we're going to build a shop. And then it was like, you know, we're going to do the the squid man is just like well we're gonna taco i I shouldn't call him squid man taco's like i got my chef's license we need big bathrooms and they're all just like spitballing all this stuff i really like too the um the water closet which i'm pretty sure that's what or wash closet is what uh, wc stands for and there's like a light symbol which i assume is women and then a darker symbol that looks like man uh and then there's one that looks like a monster with wings and it's (laughs) it's it's them marking it as gigantic uh ex uh (laughs) Well, how would you describe that? Gigantic accessible? <laughs> Jumbo-sized customers. Yeah. So that like was pretty that. funny. Yeah, that is funny. Did you notice that the taco sang uh, that he had his chef's license? It had yeah. a little music note. There's there were several more. music notes in here, yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, why is everyone singing all of a sudden? Like, they, they got introduced to Six, and he just, he had an effect on them they didn't know about. Well, he, Taco falls in love with the little kitty cat that uh, Koichi has rescued, and that's where the cat cafe comes out because Taco's just like, I'll adopt it. It can stay here. Um, and then they're like, there's this discussion about how it could be a shop cat. And then one of the Hoda brothers is like, that's gross having an animal at a place that serves food and drinks. But Kamayan is like, yeah, man, it'll bring in all these high school girls because they love them cat cafes. Which <laughs> is <laughs> like a weird thing to be like, okay. And then it's funny because the other brother is like, I don't really care about that. <laughs> yeah. And this this whole discussion is they're talking about what what they're going to do with this cat uh, in particular and, and talking about their dream cafe. Uh, this shakes Aizawa back into the past once again, and it whisks him back to another rooftop discussion where uh, 
hit loud cloud and present Mike and midnight and Aizawa are all there and they're talking about their future hero agency together. Yeah. And it's funny because, uh, they're, they're asking like what the different things that they want. And Yamada of course wants a soundproof studio where he can cut loose and shout as loud as he wants. And, uh, loud cloud wants to have a roof, I think is what he's saying. So that way he, there's a place where they could eat all their meals, kind of like what they've been doing. And they asked Shota what he wants and, uh, what his dream agency would look like. And he's like a ah, cat tower. Which is really unexpected. I don't know. I didn't. I didn't expect that at all. But he's totally fallen in love with that cat sushi, and it's funny because his whole thing behind it is like that he wants to provide a place for sushi where they can kind of like raise him. You know, specifically just Aizawa, uh, but everyone else is kind of like, oh yeah, we could all raise him together. But in doing so, Midnight is thinking about like, um, I don't think I want that. You know, and she's like, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, she's fallen in love with sushi and. Aizawa says that it would be irresponsible to foist him on Kam- uh, on Kayama forever, which is Midnight's first name. And uh, this is this kind of made me sad because as this goes on, it says not alone, but together as a duo or trio, we were ready for anything, ready to save anyone, starting with a single cat. That was our plan. But we know that Midnight keeps that cat, uh, yeah. which means that I think that after Loud Cloud dies, all of this does. All of this rooftop discussion, uh, their their idea of doing their own agency, the idea of taking that cat away from midnight, all of it is dies with Loud Cloud, which is really really sad. Yeah, the group the group died out. It, it is sad, and it's like they all just kind of went their own way. You know, the the rooftop scenes turned into Aizawa climbing that rope and Yamada watching. Mm-hmm. Well, he gets snapped back to reality again as the Hoda brothers are trying to reel him in on how it is that their cafe is going to work. They they assign him a a seat in their cafe uh, so that so that he doesn't scare off people because he looks like a bum all the time. They say uh, <laughs> we don't want you scaring customers away like some kind of hobo spirit. Uh, and then there's a discussion, of course, about how having a pro hero around would actually keep some certain clientels out of the out of the business. I like the way they phrase this too, because uh, the one Hoda brother, I think it's the young Hoda brother says, just use the back entrance when you drop by to steal coffee from us. Yeah. yeah, <laughs> They, they know what they're too. getting into. <laughs> and Aizawa kind of ends up looking up at the sky as they continue to discuss this cafe. And he says, you know what? I'm, I'm feeling clear about things now, which confuses the hell out of all these guys. They're like, what is he even talking about? And Aizawa says, don't factor me into your plans since I'm leaving this town pretty soon anyway, which takes all of them by surprise, but Koichi asks, is it for a job? And Aizawa doesn't really answer that. Instead, he says, a cat cafe, that's a good plan. Um, I'll visit the little guy when I can. So I think he's leaving town for UA in this particular scene. I think so too. Yeah, that's exactly what I figured, that this is when he made the decision, like, okay, you know what? I'm going to do this. And, uh, you know, that's, that's a call back to that discussion with LoudCloud where he says, hey, I think you could be good at this. And and these memories have brought all that back up to this past Aizawa, the uh, past to us um but present for now and vigilantes if that makes sense past yeah. to my hero proper anyway i like this last panel too because it's a picture yes. of sushi and and it's like uh, clearly from midnight and it's uh the message just say today's and then it's like a little sushi icon and above that you yes. can see the cat i thought that was really cool i love that so much i i was so at first i kind of glanced over that on my first read through but I went back through, it's like she's sending sushi pics to Aizawa every single day. And and I love that she uses the little sushi emoji, too. That made me laugh. Yeah, that's funny. I was trying to figure out what her uh, picture is. Like, to the left of the picture in the text message, there's like an icon there. But it doesn't look like, I think it's her eye mask. Yeah, it's her, like, yeah, her face mask. Yeah, yeah. eye mask, face that's mask. What that's what they're called. <laughs> I speak oh, words. <laughs> so what, You speak good. What was um, uh, episode 66 name for you? It was called Graduation and Career Path. Uh, mine's just named Career Path. A little bit, little bit more concise. Yeah, and then we run into a couple of thugs who are trying really hard not to be Bebop and Rocksteady, That's exactly but kind of exactly what I had in my notes. Bebop and Rocksteady arrive at Naruhata. Uh, but I guess they were always really there because it turns out they're just like normal villains that just live there. You know, they're just occasional villain that pop up every once in a while. And yeah. It's Rocksteady the Rhino and then some horseman who is trying, who is a horse only because they couldn't have uh, Rocksteady, or they couldn't have Bebop also. Yeah, that would have been too that would be on the too, nose. That'd be too much. Yeah, definitely, yeah. Uh, for sure. Uh, <laughs> but they're pretty much just wreaking havoc. Like, they're picking on a couple of girls, and the, the girls are like, you know, I, I do know that there is a hero that lives around here somewhere. Maybe we can call on him. I've heard that if you scream his name, he'll come for you. And 
the Bebop and Rocksteady or Horseman and Rocksteady are like, oh yeah, some legendary savior sounds like a lot of bunk. And uh, they start screaming for the crawler and then a zip zap zoop right around the corner uh, comes <laughs> the crawler. And it's like a little infomercial for Koichi. It was kind of cool. Yeah. <laughs> Tomac uh, wrote in uh, to the Discord and said that this is his favorite entrance of Koichi so far. Oh, my Because dude. he just, he's, he's so happy because they called him by his actual name, the, cra- the Crawler. And he spends like a page of panels talking about just that. He's like, I'm the man who loves it when people get his name right, the Crawler. Yeah, as he's like <laughs> hanging on the side of a wall, so he's all Spider-Manned up. Yeah, and then he's like, this whole darn time it's been nothing but Crawler, Crawler, Crawler. That's what people used to call me. Um, and then these guys recognize who he is, even though like a panel ago, they were saying that they don't believe that there's a hero in the area because um, now it's like, crap, it's you. And I'm like, well, yeah, if if you knew that he was there, then why'd you act like you didn't well, think he was there? But they're not super smart. So whenever they were talking about heroes, they were talking about legit heroes. They didn't even think about the vigilantes. Ah. That's what I'm going to say. I get it. But in the in the very next panel, as Koichi is kind of in the middle of these two, as they're taking punches at him, there are some people in the background who are still calling him Crawler. Did you notice yeah, that? Yeah, get him, Crawler. <laughs> but it's really cool. Like, in this panel, he is, like, absolutely just ducking and dodging. I mean, he looks awesome. Like, he has had a huge level up since the last time we saw Koichi. Yeah, he's very polished. He seems to have really found um, his stride and how to, apl- uh, how to apply his quirk in in very neat ways. And so he's... Slipping and sliding, he's sticking to the walls, like you said. He ends up manifesting little rings on his palms and doing uh, first a slap style, I guess, to kind of throw these guys off balance or create some distance before he does a double shooty go blam uh, right to both of these guys' midriffs. Oh, it looks and, so uh, cool. Yeah, they, they go down, and he's kind of tying them up. But they, I mean, I guess he ties them up with yarn. I mean, they snap right out of it immediately. <laughs> yeah. He's like using a shoelace or something. So luckily for him, Kamayan and Taco and even Teruo, our, our big eel friend, are on the scene and they are larger than Koichi is. So they're able to subdue these villains quite quickly. And it's really funny because they've totally flipped the script on what's going on. They show up on the scene, jump on these guys, pin them back down. And Kamayan says, you two are up to no good in our neighborhood, huh? And they're like, who are you? And Taco's like, we come from the place featuring big and tall gentlemen and the cutest kitty cats, <laughs> Hopper's Cafe. They turn it into this big commercial. And Teruo's in the back tossing out all these flyers because there's a crowd here, man. This is just, this is keen advertisement time right now. Yeah, it's great because Taco is like, I work there, you see. And sure, uh, Kamayan says, this little guy is a part-timer pointing over to Teruro. And uh, Kamayan says, and I'm the manager. And they get on to these two uh, villains and they're just like, you know what? How about instead of you getting arrested, you come work for us. Dishwasher position start at 6.50 yen per hour plus free meals. 6.50 yen is about $6.20 USD. So that makes sense of the people in the background of the very next panel going, you call that a living wage? (laughs) (laughs) It's pretty cheap. It's below a minimum wage in the U.S., which is not all that great. Um, But instead of taking them to the police, they just say, here are our newest hires. (laughs) We're all in this together. Because again... They're running a rehab clinic right now, which is awesome. They don't look super happy about it either. Like our two villains look like they're almost more upset to be working with these guys than they would be to just go, you know, spend some time in the slammer. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, But But Pop Step is trying to get Koichi to leave the scene because he's got an interview. But before they're able to leave, um, they've got some folks that want their picture taken with not just Koichi, but Pop too. And what's really funny is as this picture is being taken, the X-Men come out of nowhere. Like there's a panel where uh, the Wolverine guy is like half on half off the panel yeah and he sees his opportunity and then all of a sudden it's him and the cyclops equivalent are on the scene plus uh kamayan taco jumps in there teruo so they all squeeze in here and in the fact, kitty cat uh, taco is the one who takes it yeah yeah i see the cat down there too yeah and this freaks the girls out it was uh much more of a picture than they were anticipating this is a funny little gag reel i liked it uh, but we get to this interview, which is taking place in a utility closet, and this company is basically looking to hire a janitor, from what I can tell. Like, they, they list it as an on-site cleaning job, and the guy's like, we're talking hard, dirty work. Are you sure you're okay with that? I mean, he explains that they're not looking to hire, like, fancy college graduates or anything, and Koichi's like, yeah, that sounds good. I like it. That's something to do for fun. And the boss looks excited. He's like, for fun? Uh, and then he calls him an oddball, but I kind of got the feeling he was like, oh, we can swindle this guy. We'll pay him you know, less than we need to because he likes it already. And uh, it's funny because they, uh, they ask him like, all right, well, uh, what would you say was the most valuable thing you gained during your years as a student? 
And uh, he says, I've done a lot of uh, local volunteering, so I'd say that experience and the friends that came with it. It's great. I mean, uh, he's really, uh, he's giving him a good interview for sure. And he's, he's using uh, the right verbiage to get behind what he was really doing. Right. And so we pick up with them, with, uh, excuse me, them, Koichi Popstep back up in the rooftop hideout. Uh, and he's repairing one of his hoodies, which has seen a little, little bit of action. In fact, we find out that he's down to basically his last uh, hoodie from his collection. You know, this is, these were his all might collectible hoodies that he's been using uh, in basically combat situations out and about being the vigilante that he is. And so they've seen wear and tear. So he's repairing one of those as he's explaining to pop that, you know, uh, I, I think that I really want this job thing to work. And he even mentions in just a minute that he's thinking about possibly even retiring, but I love this particular line because it, it, it goes back to something I said, like maybe, maybe the first one or two episodes, the AMP, because she says you're picking a job, fine picking a job that way, which is just, you know, somebody because they seemed like a decent guy, he might have a good boss. But she says, no big dreams for the future. And his answer is, my dreams already came true, I guess. You know, for a little over three years, I've gotten to play hero. And in one of the earliest episodes of the AMP, I said that this is, this is everybody's dream, right? To to be a hero when you're a kid. Everybody wants, they you pretend like you're any number of heroes that you're exposed to. Uh, and Koichi's like, you know what, I got to do that for a while, but now I think I'm at a place where now that I'm past doing the things I dreamed of doing as a kid, I need to get a real job. Um, and I thought that that was a very mature place for Koichi to be. Yeah, it definitely is. But it's also kind of sad. Like, I mean, I know that he had to retire eventually and all heroes do, but it's something he's loved so much. It seems like maybe he's okay transitioning into this, but Pop definitely seems like she is not ready for that. She seems really distraught by the idea of him retiring. I think the maybe the saddest part about this is Koichi doesn't see himself as a pro hero, right? I mean, and that's why he's transitioning out of this vigilanteism. He get, it's certainly not paying the bills, and it could end up getting him in trouble. He talks about how lucky it was that he'd never been arrested, and part of that is because of the connections that he made with a couple of pro heroes in the process. That's fair. But it makes you wonder why he doesn't just go try out and get his license. I mean, it's not like he's not skilled enough, and surely Aizawa would give him the hookup to figure find a you know good pro agency or something. He uh, he ends up putting away his uh, his most recently repaired outfit, and he pulls out the dark color special limited series, and this is the last one that he has got. I just I loved the imagery of that, like the idea of this like dark mode, you know, all might. That just sounded really cool to me. I uh, I'm looking forward to, you know, if we if if my hero Vigilantes is only a uh, hundred episodes, it sounds like we're gonna jump into the meat of that very very soon because we're already moving into the six, uh, the late 60s. Mm-hmm, for sure. Um, and I would imagine that the bulk of them are going to be this senior year that he's talking about. Maybe we'll get some more um, Aizawa flashback stuff, but um, this is a good place to end. I mean, we, we end in another good place where we're not kind of in the lurch. Um, it feels like there's a big transition coming with uh, episode 67. Yeah, for sure. Uh, this is the the end part here. He asks a pop step if he or if she wants to go uh, patrolling and she says, yeah, let's go get ready. And then we get kind of this overview of that clipboard that they've got again, where they've got all these memories up of celebrity and X-Men. And I think there's a picture of Aizawa in here. There's, I mean, there's so much stuff. There's so much history of everything that's happened to them over the last few years and he says a lot happened during my years living in Naruhata and looking back it was all a ton of fun though I never thought much about some big happy end to my youth and the tale didn't quite end there the summer of my senior year would be the crawlers final season so I definitely think we're going to get some some big uh, wrap-ups here man yep I'm I'm looking forward to more vigilantes I mean I think that it'll certainly carry us through until the anime starts back absolutely but for tonight anticipating again uh the return of the anime on March 27th. Let's talk about this promotional image of Class 1B in their in their costumes, their hero costumes. Do you have that up in front of you now? I do. Yeah, it's a pretty cool image. Did, it, did this get released on Twitter or was it like in a shonen or something? Uh, I don't know. I, I found it on Twitter. I saw it retweeted um, when I was cruising the AMP's uh, timeline the other day. And uh, this is all of Class 1B 
in what is going to be their hero costumes, and I wanted to see what your opinions are. We'll, we'll share this on the Twitter again once this episode goes live so you can compare and look at what it is that we're looking at. But were there any that you liked, any that stuck out to you, any that you didn't like? What were your overall impressions? So I'll tell you, I came at this from the idea that like I don't know what a lot of their quirks do. I've seen a handful of them on the show, so I know maybe one or two of them. Uh, but I just wanted to, like, as if I was someone being rescued by one of these heroes, what would be my first impression of their costumes? And I got to say, I feel like half of these people just look like they're in clothes. Uh, they don't <laughs> look like a whole lot of costumes. Like Tetsu 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 has a pretty cool costume. I like his. Uh, but, you know, I mean, for the most part, like Kendo, I would say her outfit's kind of almost just like a kimono with a corset, which is kind of makes it a costume, I guess. But otherwise, it just looks like an outfit. And the guy in the middle, I can't remember what his name is, but he's always with Kendo. Uh, it's just a like suit, you know, and the guy standing behind him just looked like he's in khakis and like a coat. So I don't know. Oh yeah. So you're talking about, um, the Manoma is the guy that you think is looking like he, he kind of looks like he's in a suit with like a really long two tailed, uh, coat. He looks like a, like a Gothic vampire or something. Yeah. Yeah. Like he's out of a Castlevania yeah, game. Yeah, exactly. The guy behind him is uh Subaraba and he's in like a blue, uh, high-necked leather jacket looking thing. Right. And then the guy to the right of him is just like in a in a shirt with like a white jacket around it. So I don't know. I mean, some of them are kind of lackluster, but then like the, there's a girl in the very back row that has a mushroom hat and like a uh, like yeah. mushroom dress. And I'm, I think that one's so cool looking. I don't know what her quirk is, but it's got to <laughs> deal something with mushrooms. So it, yep, it does. That I, one's so pretty I, neat. I looked, I looked up all their quirks as I was looking at their costumes and I, I'm a bigger fan of costumes that fit really well within a theme. So like in UA stuff, like my favorite characters don't have my favorite costumes. Like I love Jiro. Don't really love her hero costume. There's not a bunch to it. It's just an outfit. But I love, yeah. I love Sue's a lot. And I, and I like Bakugo's as much crap as I give about the giant gauntlets early on in this show because they're thematically tied to what they are. So even Sarah, Sarah's costume is super thematic. Sure, um, yeah. So I went through and started looking at these quirks. So the the girl that looks like a mushroom, her name is Kanoko Kamori. And her quirk is basically that she can make mushrooms grow on all sorts of things, including like living people. And she looks like a mushroom outside of her costume. And so now they just made her into like a toadstool, like something you'd find in a Mario game. And so f my note for her is that they just turned her mushroomness up to 11 with her costume. <laughs> I she like already that, looked like a mushroom. Her quirk she is... Looks like Double mushroom. Her quirk is really interesting because mushrooms have so much ability to like uh, absorb toxicity from their surroundings. Like they use them in oil spills and stuff to absorb certain oils out of the ocean and the water. And they can re like basically fertilize ground and soil. So like her quirk is to have so many cool capabilities, especially mixed with um, I don't remember what her name is, but the girl with the green hair and she's kind of in the white flowy dress. I feel yeah, like Shiozaki. She was also had kind of like a, a veggie related quirk. Didn't she control like vines and stuff yeah yeah she's like vine manipulation she's basically like a female swamp thing almost uh yep. so those two are really cool i gotta say i don't know what he does but the the guy standing next to tetsu 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 that's in the like saiyan armor with the little like saiyan yeah. thing i something about him i don't know if it's just nostalgia but i'm like i want to know what that guy does he really grabbed my attention so his name is nearing geki shoda and his quirk is basically like when he hits something uh a second hit takes place after it that's of uh, a multiplied magnitude oh that's cool so it's like yeah it's very interesting uh, and it does look a little bit like saiyan armor yeah for sure it does um what about the guy with the top uh top right with the green kind of overcoat with the green spiky hair he looks really interesting too so that's togaru kamakiri and his quirk is just that he can make super sharp blades come out of his body oh that's terrifying <laughs> that is absolutely <laughs> terrifying so were there any that really stuck out to you then Yes. Okay. So if, if I were just looking at these and was like, who would I want to rescue me based on aesthetics alone? I think I would have to go with the guy in the bottom right, which is uh, Juzu, uh, excuse me, Juzo Honanuki. He's the guy that can make things soft because he just looks like uh, a centurion. Do you remember that cartoon? He kind of looks like a centurion. Yeah. Okay. I uh, see that. I thought that Tetsu 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 Tetsu's costume makes him look like uh, he works at a blacksmith shop. So I thought that that was pretty thematically cool. Oh, yeah, it looks it like does. he's got one of those aprons on, those heavy aprons. Yeah, that is pretty neat. I like that. So Manga Fukudashi's top left, he is the one, his costume makes him look like an inkwell. Oh, it does. And That's neat. 
And but the weird thing is this thing on his face, and the wiki says that that's a mask, and it's made to look like manga panels, which I think is super strange. So that's a mask? I always assumed that that was like his head. His head is behind that mask. His head is that little thought bubble thing behind it, but it is very explicitly called a mask in the... Uh, in his appearance notes on the wiki. What is his quirk? You got to tell, I, I don't, oh man, that's weird. His is the one that he can just make. Um, it's like automatopoeia and it changes what his, uh, what his head looks like. Oh, uh, that's right. It's called right. comic. Mangus quirk allows him to materialize words in midair by speaking them. Uh, these words are automatopoeia, which can manifest the effects of the phenomenon that the sound suggests. The only drawback is that the over- overuse of this quirk can cause him to get an incredibly sore throat. Um, I thought that they did something super strange with Pony Sunatori because they make her look like an animal that is to be ridden. She looks like she has like saddle equipment on her, and I am uncomfortable by that. Which one for is some she? Reason. I like, don't. She's the one with the horns. Okay. Like she's. It looks like they're like getting her ready to be ridden. Um, it just seems strange. I mean, it's huh. thematic, but I, I am uncomfortable with it. So my two <laughs> favorite ones, one of them you actually took a dump on. So the, oh, no. <laughs> the dude in the white coat. <laughs> yeah. Um, so his name is Sin uh, Ki- Kaibara. And he can make his body like spin really fast and body parts spin really fast. So for his costume, it does look pretty plain unless you look at kind of the bottom of his shirt the legs on his pants, the ends of his sleeves and around his neck. It looks like threads from like a screw. Mm-hmm. And I really liked that. I think that looks pretty neat. Once you know what his quirk is, I think that it transforms that costume entirely. Yeah, a little bit. Um, but maybe the coolest one is actually one that I had to do some uh, some research for. And it's this gentleman in the back, kind of between the, the guy with the green hair and uh, the lady who's just wearing like red and white. Uh-huh. So um, that is a guy named Hirio... Ren, and he is one of the two foreign exchange students in class 1B. The other one is uh, Pony. Um, She's not from Japan. He is from China. His quirk is something called scales, where he's just allowed to like sprout scales on his body, but he can shoot them uh, also. But the cool thing about his costume is I looked this thing up, and it's inspired by something that's called a Jianshi, which is like this Japanese zombified vampire thing. And they wear, they're basically depicted kind of like he is, including this thing over his face that has kanji. Uh, and the kanji on his face are, I mean, if you look it up in the wiki, it'll tell you what they are. But on the Jianshi, they're sealing spells to like, that's kind of what is animating them. So when I looked at the inspiration for his costume, I thought that that was pretty neat. That is really cool. Did you happen to dig up any information on the, uh, he's in the middle row all the way to the right. It looks like he just has a black overcoat on and he's got like white hair and really dark skin. Yeah. So his quirk allows him to just blend into anything that's black, uh, to kind of, uh, become one with it, almost like a milled with the blackness. Oh man. Can you imagine him and Tokoyami fighting? Tetsu Tetsu's got a good case for a cool thematic costume because of the way that, like I said, it looks like he is working in a blacksmith shop, but I really, really do... Uh, like uh, Sen Kaibara's, the guy that has the looks like it, screw threadings on his on his costume. That just struck me as a really neat detail. Yeah, yeah, no, I like it. Once you explain it, I think that's kind of a neat detail for sure. I'm excited to see what Class One B brings to the table, man. It's going to be a fun season. Agreed, and it can't get here any sooner. I said a month. I wish it was tomorrow. Yeah, me too. Uh, I I am now thinking about the uh, the mushroom uh, quirk here, and I'm like thinking of all these crazy ideas. She she might have like a whole you know, psychedelic mushroom black market at UA. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy, here you go. She, she's she's going to have a scar and you're going to pin her as a villain uh, anytime now. Well, you know, it's easy for me to do. Everyone's a villain. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man. Well, next time we sit down, we'll pick back up, start with episode 67 and keep on keeping on through Vigilantes until March 27th or thereabouts. All right, that sounds good to me. We'll see everybody in a couple of weeks. See you guys. Almighty Podcast is brought to you by the Back Patio Network. You can follow us on Twitter at AlmightyPod or follow at BackPatioNet for all network news. If you enjoyed what you heard, go check out our Patreon, patreon.com slash Network. You can help support the network, get access to early episodes, and lots of other great stuff. If you want to get to know us, come hang out in our Discord channel. We have lots of fun and would love to have you in there. My name is Adam, and you can follow me on Twitter at TheRealSimso, S-I-M-S-O. 